Discover community, find hope, and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. If you've loved something, like, like not just like puppy love something, but if you have a deep, committed, passionate love for something, you, you know this is true. You do. You can tend to drift in that love. And that love can cool. And you have to consistently bring yourself back to that place of deep, 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 committed, passionate love. The drift in relationship is almost certain. It was probably about uh, 33 years ago. I had been married to Bonnie for somewhere around eight or nine years. And we were living out in New England, and we had been given a gift certificate to go to the Parsons Daughters restaurant in Glastonbury, Connecticut. I don't know if it still exists or not. It was one of those restaurants where you had to make reservations way in advance. They served like three tables in the whole restaurant. It was an old converted house. It was gorgeous. I have no idea what I ate. But here's what stood out to me. This woman that I was with, my wife Bonnie, as we were sitting there and talking and taking time to be with each other, something began to happen in my heart again. The love for her, which hadn't... I don't want to say it it disappeared, because that would not be true. It had just grown casual. It had grown maybe lukewarm. Is that fair? There's no threat to love, but it wasn't passionate. When I sat there with her through the evening, and then we went down into the fall foliage along the river, and we walked hand in hand, and I realized, oh my goodness, it was like, I was like, my, my love was like restoked. In the Bible, God often compares the church and marriage or our relationship as the church with our relationship with him, similar to, to marriage. And, and you know, some of you, right, that your love has grown dutiful and not as devoted. You are doing all the right things, but your passion for him and your deep, deep, committed love has grown casual. Maybe even cold. Maybe even distant. I'd like to recommend you go to dinner in Connecticut. No, I'm just kidding. But that's what I want to talk about today because Jesus talked about it. Jesus sent a letter to his church. 
via the Apostle John. And in the letter, it, it's, it's like he starts out, and, and we'll read it, he starts out praising praising this church, this amazing church, this astounding church, this, this deeply committed church. He starts praising him and praising him and pra- praising him. And then it's like this gut punch. You can imagine receiving a letter from someone you deeply love who, who says, you're doing amazing at this, you're doing amazing at this, you're doing amazing at this, but this I'm holding against you. It's like, what? I don't sense your love anymore. If you have a Bible, would you turn to the book of Revelation? Revelation chapter 2. In this letter that's being written, the, the author, the penner, the pen guy is, is the Apostle John. He's in exile in Patmos. He's writing, the first part of the letter is to the church of Ephesus. A, a wealthy church, a committed church, a, a beautiful church for all practical purposes. But one who Jesus says, as he dictates the letter in a vision to John, that Jesus holds something against them. And, and so I, I want us to look at that and, and dig into that. And we used to do this all the time. And I'm just, I wonder if we could do this this morning. As we read God's word, could we stand in honor of him and his word? Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 2. The word angel here is, it, it, it's the Greek word messenger. Right, And it probably in this context means the elder or the pastor or the leader of the church. Probably a whole series of house churches in the city of Ephesus. One, one, one church, many outlets. And, and it says here that Jesus himself is walking amongst the church. Let me just do a little aside before I start reading. I think he still does that. And he just slips in and observes his people when we're doing church at work and at home and here that he's not unaware of his church. He's attentive to his church. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, referencing the seven churches. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. I have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in paradise. 
of God. God, again, I pray. I pray that you'd bring us back. Or for some of us to the first time where we have a deep, deep, committed, passionate love for you. Amen. You can be seated. The, the church of Ephesus is this amazing place. I, I want to give us the first point, and, and we're going to walk through this. It, it, here's, here's the first point. Good things, good things can rob you of the best thing. Good things can rob you of the best thing. Jesus is praising this church for all of the good behaviors that they have. They are hardworking. They are perseverance. They're doing all of these right, wonderful things, serving and, and working and, and doing massive stick to They're impacting their community. They're doing all of the things that God dreams of with the church, behavior-wise. Good behavior. And good beliefs. They are what we would call orthodox. They, they're holding all of the correct beliefs about certain things. That they're checking out their leaders to make sure they believe appropriately. They're checking out these people and finding that they're false. They don't believe correctly. They're checking out these people and believing that, and finding out that they, they're not even behaving correctly. And they, they discipline them. They push them. They, they, they guide them. This is the, a church full of good behaviors and good beliefs. This is a church that people around them would look and applaud them and say, oh my goodness, you guys are amazing. Look how you do all of these things that God wants you to do. But don't forget, but don't forget, but don't forget the good things can rob you of the best things. You can drift into duty and turn your back on devotion. You can believe all the right things, have all of your I's dotted, all of your T's crossed. You can, people can look at you, this church is amazing. And don't forget, don't forget, if in fact you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are church. So he's writing to the cluster of people in Ephesus, but he's also writing to individuals. Because it is individuals who make up the cluster of the church. The casualness of heart, the coldness of heart, the indifference of heart comes not as a group, but as individuals coming together and finding themselves distant from Him. People who, He says... I hold this against you. Like, I applaud you. But this piece of your life, this hurts. Can you imagine the one who died for you? The one who you call Savior and Lord, the one, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is the beginning and the end, the one who gave his life. Looking at you or writing to you. Can you imagine reading this if you're this church? Oh, I, 
I didn't mean to. The only way I can look at that passage and read it, and I know that some of us don't do this well, but this feels emotional to me from Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had someone you deeply love and you realize it's grown cold. You provide well for the family. You're taking care of everything like you're supposed to do. You are an amazing wife. But I feel like you don't love me. You are a wonderful father. I love the way you play with our kids. I love all... But I I feel like you don't really love me anymore. Like Jesus is saying, like, I know your hard work, how you serve in the church, but I hold this against you. I know how you fight racism in our culture. But I hold this against you. I know how you're very careful about what you believe and what you're supposed to believe and how you're supposed to believe it, but but I hold this against you. I know how you care about the aliens and the strangers, the immigrants, the people who are new to your community. I know, I, I know, but I, but I hold this against you. I know how generous you are. And your compassionate first offerings. I know, I know that, but, but I hold this against you. I know how you hold conservative values. And you make sure everybody knows what you think. But I hold this against you. I I, I know how you care for the poor and the vulnerable, the unborn. I know, I know how you fight against abortion and abuse and hatred. But I hold this against you. You have all the right behaviors. You have all the right beliefs. But I want to warn you. Your light is about to go out. He has this phrase, I'm going to remove your lampstand, your candlestick. I'm going to remove the light that shines on the hill through you. I'm going to allow you to grow dark. The cause of Christ, as important as it is, is not more important than your love for Christ. I'll tell you what, for a couple weeks now, this has been ringing in my heart and ears. I do, I do, I I don't intend to, but I, I drift into doing over devotion. One of the things that happens to me, and I've shared this before, I come here on Sundays 
and listening to all you and listening to our worship team, very often it re-triggers my heart because I spend all morning getting ready to come. Because I don't want to be the old guy that sits someplace in a corner angry about the world and God and distant from Him. I want to be as in love with Jesus 20 years from now as I was when I was 16. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Good things can rob you of the best things. Point number two. First comes love. Then comes marriage. Then comes a baby. No, that's wrong. Just first comes love. All the time, first. Never a competitor with faithfulness, never a competitor with truth, never a competitor with grace, never a competitor with morality, never a competitor. But first, first, first comes love. The, the, Jesus is saying, I, I have this against you. And again, you, you've abandoned, you've forsaken. It, it's, what he's saying is you've like exchanged love for me for something else. You've abandoned. It's not that he stepped away. You have stepped away, he's saying. You've stepped away from my love. He's right into this church. That's an amazing church. You have lost it. You have left it. You've turned your back on it. You may not intend to have rejected it, but you've drifted away from a devoted heart. It says in Matthew and Mark and Deuteronomy that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love the Lord with everything you got. In Deuteronomy, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Impress what? Impress right beliefs? Well, of course. Impress right behavior? Well, naturally. But that's not what he's saying here. Impress the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Impress that. Imprint that on the heart of your kids. And I think, oh my goodness. How do I do that? By living it. By making sure that the most important thing in my life is my love for Jesus. That I don't abandon. And when I find myself abandoning, when I don't replace, when I find myself replacing, when that I don't drift, and when I find myself drifting, to return, to return. First love, we tend to think of it like puppy love. That's not what, what I think he means here. 
First love is like first in priority, but also first as in the source of everything. Make sure your love for God is sourcing your beliefs. Make sure your love for God is sourcing your behaviors. Make sure your love for God is sourcing your ethics. Make sure your love for God is sourcing the way you spend your money. Make sure your love for God is sourcing how you express yourself physically with your partner in marriage. If you're married. Make sure your love for God is sourcing everything you do. The word there is agape. It's the Greek word for love. And, and, and we know that there's several words for, for love in the Greek language. And maybe we make more of the differences than there really is. Because they're interchanged often in the New Testament. But, but, but here's a good description of what this is talking about. It, it, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love... I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. And then he ends with, love never fails. When your life is depicting failure, maybe it's not that you should try harder at behaving better. Maybe we should surrender deeper into a love relationship with Christ. Because love begets obedience. Maybe our issue isn't Try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder. Maybe it's love deeper, love deeper, love deeper. Love deeper. You know you have drifted when your doing for Jesus is more important than your devotion to Jesus. I think it's interesting in this passage, he's not referring to a hidden scandal in the church. He hasn't uncovered the videotapes of the pastor and -and so-and-so. He hasn't found that the financial office has been squandering and sneaking. He hasn't found that their beliefs are incorrect. But they've disobeyed the greatest commandment on the face of the earth. You don't love me. Maybe it'd be good for us just to look at the why behind what we do. Or the why behind what you don't do. Is love for Jesus still there? I wonder at what cost. (laughs) 
at what cost to myself am I willing to learn how to love again? Good things can rob us of the best things. First comes love. And then how to return to first love. This is, this is like if you're the prodigal child. Oh, I know. Some of you, you've been so good. You're, you're not prod, but, but if you're the prodigal child, right? The prodigal child, you've been out squandering and you're returning now to the love of the father. This is how we can do it. But also, if you're the dutiful stay-at-home son, that's doing all the right things, believing all the right things, obeying all the right orders, but not loving God. This is how to return. He says this. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. I will remove the light. I don't think that means you'll go to hell. I don't think that's what I think it means I'm going to remove your influence. I'm going to remove your ability to see well. I'm going to remove the blessing of my presence on your life. How to return to first? Let me let me ask a couple questions first. How would you evaluate your heart engagement and your doing, like right now? Do you remember a time when you love Jesus more than you do now? Does your study of Scripture find its place in God's love? Does your service for Him find your place in His love? Does the work that you do during the week find its place and inspiration in His love? Does your morality find its place in His love? Is your goodness fed by His love? Are you hot toward God? Lukewarm toward God. Are you cold and casual toward God? Where would he say you are? Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love. This is just like... Like the cover piece. It says this, God is love. Crazy, relentless, all-powerful love. Have you ever wondered if we're missing it? It's crazy if you think about it. The God of the universe, the creator of nitrogen and pine needles, the creator of galaxies and E minor, loves us with a radical, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And what is our typical response? We go to church. We sing songs and we try not to cuss. Whether you've verbalized it yet or not, we all know something's wrong with that. 
Does something deep inside your heart long to break free from the status quo? Are you hungry for an authentic faith that addresses the problems of our world with a tangible, even radical solutions? God is calling you to a passionate love relationship with himself because the answer to religious complacency isn't working harder at a list of do's and don'ts. It's falling in love with God. He gives us three things in this passage. He says consider. That, let's call that the word remember. Remember, it's to think about, it's to ponder. Remember, repent, and return. Remember, repent, and return. What he's saying is, remember, think about, think about, recall, rehearse that th- those times when you did love him passionately, those times when you when you first discovered that you have been saved, that you have been forgiven. The first time you realize that in your life, you deserve to go to hell. And you're not because Jesus Christ died for your sins. Oh my goodness, how amazing is that? Not the first time. Like Just just remember those things. Be amazed at forgiveness. Be amazed at His love. Be amazed at His care. Be amazed that He is the shepherd who walks you beside quiet waters, leads you besides in restoration of your soul, walks you in paths of righteousness. Be amazed that the God of the universe is attentive to you and that He knows your name. We love because he first loved us. We end every service with, go let God love you. That that if your love for him is waning, rediscover his love for you. And then return it. And then return it to him. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Don't, Don't be content to live in shallowness. Or dutifulness. The greatest commandment on the face of the earth is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Was there a time, was there a time in your life when you love Christ more than you love Him now? Ask God to help you rediscover that kind of love. Number two, repent. It's the Greek word metanoia. It means to change your mind about it. Decide up front that if God says I'm holding this against you, oh my goodness. That, honestly, just like when I read those words, that that gives me like a, a gut punch. I don't want God to hold anything against me. I want to be fully His. And so the, the privilege is to say, I want to change. If my behaviors, my doing, and my beliefs have supplanted my love for Jesus, that's idolatry. I don't want to be an idol. I don't want to have idols. I want... Here, here's a sample prayer. And, 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 to be honest, at, at the end of the service, during the closing song, some of us might want to just come up front and say, God, restore my love for you. Oh, I know, I know. You don't want to do that in front of everybody. Love, love doesn't care what other people think. You know that. Love, like, I remember a day when I first got saved, I didn't care what anybody said. I wanted everybody I know to know that I love Jesus. Lord God, I need to confess to you a huge sin in my life. My love for you has grown weak, casual, and cold. Oh, I know, I know. Someone's a huge sin? Like, I thought you were going to confess an affair or something. No. I think if the greatest commandment is to love, all those others are lesser sins. 
Let me start over. Lord God, I need to confess to you a huge sin in my life. My love for you has grown weak, casual, and cold. I've been so busy doing that I have drifted in my devotion to you. Please, please forgive me. Help me turn back to a first love devotion to you. Amen. You know, when you have that moment in your heart where the Holy Spirit, not not guilt, but convictions, when he convicts you of sin, when he says, this is you, what a beautiful thing. I don't know if you've picked it up, but Jesus is writing to his church and saying, I have this against you, but here's the way back. Because more than judging you as a hurtful, I want you to know I forgive you. I just want relationship with you. He says, remember, repent, and return. Decide now. I don't want to be content with casual. When I worship, I don't want to just sing words. I want my heart full, full on. I, 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 I want a deep love for you built in the scriptures. In my doing for you, I want it out of deep devotion for you. In my beliefs about you, I want, I want them to drive me in my love for you and how I communicate that. I want to love others. You know, we, Jesus even said that if we feed the hungry, it's like feeding him. Don't put an artificial division between loving God and loving others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your, your neighbor as yourself. Maybe what we have to do is just ask him, God, would you help me to love you more? Or again. Or for some of us, honestly, some of us because we've drifted into Christianity and we're asked to look back, maybe we've never had a look back moment that we can look back in when we were deeply in love with Christ. Maybe that's what you'd ask today. And not whether you are saved or not, but God, would you stoke a love for you in me. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, we would love to talk to you about how to build that love. You can text us at, you can text the words made new, right? And and we'll talk with you about that. 4747-4747. But here's the deal. During this closing song, I'm guessing this is true. Some of us who feel that we've grown casual in our love maybe we just want to come up and spend a few moments declaring to God a desire to be restored in love